Well, when I see that video, I'm reminded of a story that might not be exactly my story or your story, but I'm reminded of God's redemption. And redemption is one of the most central themes of the Christian faith, and it also might be the least believed. There's a verse that we're kind of basing this series on because we're trying to gain a kind of wisdom that might not feel like it's natural, but it's supernatural. And the verse is from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, and it says, it's because of him that, those, that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, our holiness, and our redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boasts in the Lord. We're more likely to question why God would allow something bad than believe that God can restore, repair, deliver. We struggle to see that God is infinitely present and caring uh, when in fact he is. And so when we think about God's redemption, I want you to think about it in these terms, especially as it relates to these terms of your daily life of your ordinary life, of your difficult life. And it's this, nothing is for nothing. And if there's been a message that I feel like God has been putting on my heart, it's, it doesn't matter how hard it is. And it doesn't matter how bad it is. It doesn't matter how good it is. Nothing is for nothing. In other words, God is always present. God is always at work and God can always salvage things. I remember 2015, our family was in a really difficult place. Uh, my daughter had suffered a traumatic brain injury. She was going through a lot of health problems and we were just struggling, trying to put the pieces together. Laura was working at the hospital. She would be gone 14 hours a day. We were having a hard time caring for our own. And I remember my mom flying out to spend some time with us to somehow lift the load. And while my mom was visiting us, we discovered that my mom couldn't walk down our mostly flat street without a loss of breath. And we began to ask my mom questions like, why are you stopping to take a break when we just got three houses down and it's a flat ground? And uh, come to find out, my mom's been presenting with some different heart issues and my wife, the nurse, starts asking more questions, come to find out that, um, well, within a day of returning, she went to the doctor at my request. In fact, my mom even said, I'm only here because my son said I needed to be here. Because in my mom's mind, I've always been healthy. Why would I not be healthy now? And the doctor looked at her and says, well, I think your son saved your life. And within the next day, she went in and had a quadruple bypass surgery. Now, for all the aches and aging that I have caused my mom, I count this one time as a win because nothing is for nothing. And she came to help us only to realize that she was in desperate need 
of help. She thought she was going to be the one to lift our load. Instead, she returns with this redemptive opportunity to not only improve the quality of her life, but the length of her life. And when we find God in the midst of a dark storm, a dark cloud of worry, of grief, of unmet expectations, we can believe that nothing is for nothing. God is not only with us, but he's using all things for his glory, but potentially for our growth. And I think that's what we need to understand when we look at this key idea, this central idea to the Christian faith that is redemption that God can redeem, God can use, God can repair all things. Let me ask you a question, because I want to center us in the way that an ancient Hebrew would have have thought about this. And the first question is, what would you say if I were to ask you to identify the single most important event in the New Testament? If this was a discussion and in a living room, people would speculate, but I would guess most people would narrow it down and respond with, well, the death and the resurrection of Jesus, in which I would say, correct. But let me ask you a second question. Think about this. If I were to ask you um, the same question, what would be the most important event of the Old Testament? What would you pick? It's kind of hard to decide. I mean, you have the creation account, you have the flood with Noah, you have the covenant you have with Abraham that I'm going to bless you and you're going to be a blessing. You have the Israelites entering the promised land. You have the building of the temple. There's a lot of things to consider, which would be the single most important event. You and I would probably have to negotiate or consider, oh yeah, that one too. But here's the thing. We might find it difficult to answer. The answer would seem almost obvious to a Jewish person. Central to the Jewish experience, to what it meant to be the people of God, was their experience with the deliverance from Egypt. It was seen as the one defining point in their history where God reached down into the world in an unprecedented way. And throughout all the Old Testament, this deliverance, this exodus, this salvation event was cited in almost every book uh, refers to it. And it's the only one event that's mentioned in nearly every worship service. And many of the commands that the Israelites followed were rooted in the people's deliverance from Egypt. Imagine if your identity was rooted in the very fact that God delivered and rescued you from bondage, captivity, slavery. Would that define or shape your worldview? Now, again, these commands were rooted in the people's deliverance of Egypt. So think about just some of the commands. The alien living with you must be treated as a native born. In other words, you're to love them as yourself for you were aliens 
in Egypt. That's the book of Leviticus. Again, in Leviticus, it would say, if one of your own countrymen becomes poor and is unable to support himself among you, help him as you would an alien or a temporary resident so that he can continue to live among you. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt to give you the land of, of Canaan and to be your God. Canaan was a reference to the promised land. Or this one out of Deuteronomy. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty and outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. So you see that this, this one pivotal event of the, the redemptive act of God, the deliverance of God, was central to what it means as the people of God. Now, each command is directly linked to God's actions on Israel's behalf. God's people must not mistreat the foreigners. Didn't they remember that what it was like to suffer the abuse uh, in Egypt before God rescued them? God's people must help the poor in the land. Hadn't they experienced what it was like to live in poverty in someone else's land before God led them to their own? God's people must rest and allow all the servants to rest on the Sabbath. In other words, not inactivity, but this productive activity as it means to focusing our lives around our faith and our community. Wasn't this the rest what they had longed for as slaves? in Egypt before God freed them. Now, what's interesting is there's an idea in scripture that we see fulfilled in the person of Jesus. There was something called a kinsman redeemer. If you've ever read the book of Ruth, you know this story. And the, the story is the closest, nearest relative of means that could bail the person out of their indebtedness was to be called their kinsman redeemer. Now, if a person fell into debt and they went into debtor's prison or they fell into slavery, some kind of indentured servitude, a relative would need to, quote, buy back their freedom. Now, once this person was redeemed, that is, they were known as they were purchased with a price, sounds like Jesus, the relationship to the redeeming person changed. Now he was specifically bound to that redeemer and he became his, his not like property though, only as a close family member, not as a slave. So if I come along and I buy back from debt, you're not my slave or my servant, but now you're like my brother or my sister. And the fact that God through his son forgives us, he doesn't hold on to any offense. He doesn't hold on to any debt that we might have incurred. He doesn't have any record of grievances. What he does is he welcomes us back as kin. Redemption means to have our full debt paid. It means that we've been delivered. And I wonder if you've ever experienced spiritually the fact, the spiritual reality that your debt has been paid. 
Have you ever had the feeling of being redeemed? Because that's one of the most central things to the Christian experience. And it's one of the most pivotal things that we can believe in our life. So as followers of Christ, we can continually remind ourselves that Jesus has in fact redeemed us. And because he's redeemed us, we can forgive because we've been forgiven. We can serve because we understand that Christ humbled himself for us. We can love even the most unlovable because we've experienced the extravagant love of God in our own lives. When we understand this kind of redemption, we have now this new life, this new hope because of Jesus's redeeming gift. See, whenever God wanted to emphasize why his people should obey him, he reminded them of how he rescued them and forged them into his own people. I am the God who brought you out of Egypt. And he kept repeating this. And so when we now have Christ in us, what we understand is this redeeming gift that changes our capacity to forgive, to demonstrate compassion, to be people of generosity, to be willing to be hospitable, to be people who can name our sin because we understand that our acceptance isn't in question. This is what it means to be in God's redeeming love. And redemption is always worth re-gifting. You know what it means to re-gift. Some of you have heard me tell this story, but it feels like it fits so well. I remember being a, a young newlywed couple, and we had other couples around us that were all newlyweds within the first one or two years together. And we were sitting one night talking about the idea of regifting, and we were laughing at each other about how maybe we got too much of one thing, and and because we were kind of cash poor, we had gotten like three chip bowls, or we had gotten a couple of crock pots, and so when we're reading the guest registry or the wedding registry of another friend's list, we just decided to regift. And so this was kind of a common thing within the, all of these newlywed couples until our friends, Dan and Jen, tell the story where they received a gift for their wedding. And as they were opening the gift, before they opened it, they read the card from who it was from and they wrote it down. Oh, this is who gave us this. But when they opened the box, it was the card inside from who had given it to them. They were found out. They were clearly outed as re-gifters because even though we all did it, we didn't want to be known as the re-gifting couple. <laughs> but here's the point. The gospel is a gift that is supposed to be re-gifted. And when we live our life in Christ and we're aware that God is present in the hard and the good, when, we're, when we can believe that it doesn't matter how bad or unexpected things get, God can redeem all things. We understand that God can always and forever do a new work. And just when we thought, 
This was the final end to the story. God begins to write a new story. And the gospel is an amazing gift that's supposed to be regifted. And when we understand our redemption, we can walk with the hope that God can repair and restore and rewrite every chapter of our life. And so the question that I would ask as we go to this time in prayer is what do you have that you've not been given? You might be feeling underwhelmed by God. You might be struggling, feeling like somehow God has disappointed. But what I would simply suggest is that God is writing a story. And when we take inventory of our lives, we can start to realize that God has been giving and providing and sustaining and redeeming every area of our lives. We're going to go into a time of prayer. I'm going to ask Pastor Dalen to guide us through this time. And I would just encourage you to make this your meditation as we go to the Lord with this idea of God's redemption.